Good morning, everybody. Well, my name's Evan Saxton. I'm, I'm one of the ministers here, and I get to hang out with our college students. I'm the campus minister. Um, my wife and I, Danielle, um, she, she and I have had the privilege of walking alongside our college students for several years now, and we were both students in the campus ministry, and God changed both of our lives through his campus ministry here well before he blessed us even further by bringing us together. So campus ministry is just extremely special to us, and we're thankful to be able to watch God continue to change students' lives here. And I want to echo Barrett's comments from earlier about this church family and how incredibly supportive they are of the college ministry here. You know, whenever we talk to a lot of students at events on campus, like Campus Ruckus or at student involvement fairs, I'll always have a few students ask me what sets us apart as a ministry on campus, because there are so many. And that's really a difficult question for me to answer, because we have good relationships with our fellow ministries at UK, and I don't really give much thought to trying to be different from many of them. And we're all trying to support students in following Christ. We have that in common with each other. But I can honestly say that this church family is a unique blessing from which we benefit immensely. And you know, coming into a full-time ministry role was a bit of a journey for me. And in the years between graduating from UK and coming on to staff here, Southside was what kept me around Lexington. And so for any students who are here this morning, I just want to let you know that you are in the midst of a great family who's been loving college students well for a long time. And there are a lot of campus ministry alumni in here. They, they know how special campus ministry is, and they want to help you have a great experience in it as well. In fact, we, we had one campus ministry alumnus who we had lined up to, to cook up a delicious lunch today for college students. Um, unfortunately, I got a call yesterday morning, and he's come down with COVID. So instead, we have to settle for catering some Moe's Southwest Grill. So college student, I've, I've got some good food for you today. It's going to be back here in the gathering place immediately after worship. So please come. And even if you can't stick around, if you've got other lunch plans, please at least come back and say hello. We'd love to meet you and connect and and start walking with each other. Um, so I'm just excited. I'm excited and hopeful for this new school year. But I also have to say how much I've enjoyed this summer because I've had the time and the opportunity to help out and be present in ways that I'm often not able to during the school year. And, you know, from working on the skit team with VBS to spending a lot of days helping out at Bluegrass Christian Camp so just being able to come here on Wednesday nights while campus has kind of been on a break, it's been a refreshing and enjoyable season to spend some extra time with many of you. And most recently, I got to be the bus driver for the youth group on their mystery trip to Chattanooga. And we had a great time crawling through caves, going to the Tennessee Aquarium, hanging around our not exactly tree houses, but a big highlight was definitely our whitewater rafting trip on the Okoe River. And I thought I'd share some pictures with everyone this morning. <clears throat> so at the, at the stretch on the river where we all had our pictures taken, every raft had one person doing what they called riding the bull, which is sitting on the front edge of the raft with your feet hanging over. So you can see here Mara's riding the bull for her group. 
Um, go forward. Next slide. I'm having technical difficulties here. There we go. Next slide. We got Logan. There we go. Now we're in business. Kind of. <laughs> okay, we're back. There's Logan. No fear. Coming to the next oncoming wave. Here we have Jacob showing some great form, some excellent form. And, you know, I, I said every raft had somebody riding the bull, but actually my raft, we had someone who ended up doing the Superman. That's Camden, our, our youth ministry intern for the summer. He tried to ride the bull, but he kept falling backwards into the raft, which was really enjoyable for all of us. And so our guide said, why don't you just Superman it? So he did that. And anyway, I, I got the great idea during our our picture time here, that it might look funny if I'm trying to pull Camden backwards by his, his life jacket. And this actually worked surprisingly well. I actually stood him up. And as you can see, that was quite shocking to both Camden and me. And so I kind of stood him up and just really set him up for the next oncoming wave. Which, <laughs> But he did survive. Um, you'll see his head pop. There he is. Hey, buddy. We all made it. We all had a good time. And, you know, I've actually rafted this same stretch of the Okoe River quite a few times now, mostly on fall, trip, fall retreat trips with our college students. And I've done it enough times that I've stopped counting, but it's got to be at least 10 times or so for me now. But on this trip, our guide and our raft, he did something cool that I haven't had any other guide do before. Whenever we made it through an intense stretch of rapids, our guide, his name was Mike, he would always call out to us to stop paddling and look back so that we could see what we just made it through. And, you know, it's, it's one thing to go through the rapids, to see them and to feel them as they're coming at you, but it's a pretty powerful thing to actually stop and look back from downstream and see them in their entirety and to know that you've just gone through that. And it gives you quite an image to hold on to, and maybe even an, a helpful one if you're at all anxious about what may lie ahead. So this morning, we're going to spend a little time talking about remembrance, how important it is for us as followers of Christ, and how it needs to function in our lives. And I've, I've titled this morning's message, Tell Me Something Old. <clears throat> and we're going to be looking at how Jesus models remembrance in the way that he navigated being tempted in the wilderness. And so our base text, it's going to be from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, which Gregory read for us. And it's a familiar story but we'll be looking at it a little bit differently. You know, we often focus mostly on the three temptations that the devil crafts specifically for Jesus, and rightfully so, because there are a lot of important issues for us to consider from examining that. But this morning, we'll focus a little more broadly on how Jesus' practice of remembrance kept him on the right path. We'll see how that set him up to stay on the right path. By anchoring himself with ancient words by creating space to be formed by those words, and by surrounding himself with others who lived by those words, Jesus held his direction towards the cross. And this story really is about direction, maybe even more than, it, than it's about sin. We think about temptation and sin, but I'd argue this is every bit as much about direction as it's about sin. And of course, it was of, it was of highest importance that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he could become a perfect sacrifice for all people for all time. But the stakes here, they didn't merely center around whether he would give in to temptation 
and commit a single sin. The choices that the devil laid out before Jesus, they had to do with the way that Jesus would go about his work in ministry. Jesus was entering a new season in life. He was beginning his ministry, and it was a pivot point at which his choices would have had heightened consequences. His trajectory would have changed drastically if he decided to trust in his own strength or abuse his power or embrace worldly power. And likewise for us, when we compromise our character or our standards or God's standards at the beginning of new endeavors, whether it's new relationships, new jobs, when we move to a new place, when we start a new school, when we compromise, it can really set the tone for what we become. Because once you get a certain distance down a certain path, it ceases to be an easy thing to do things differently all of a sudden. You know, if, for example, if I were to ask all of you what sounds good for lunch today other than Moe's Southwest Grill, how many of you would say Chick-fil-A? It just sounds better on Sunday, right? But we can't because they're closed. And Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays now because they set that conviction early. If they were making revenue on Sundays right now, if they'd spent Sunday after Sunday with the drive through line snaking all the way around the building, even at like 2.30 in the afternoon, they probably wouldn't take that day off the books, even if they wanted to. They'd be too used to making that Sunday money. To my college people, I've watched a lot of folks enter college with the mindset that they're going to spend these first few years of adult freedom doing the things they've never been allowed to do. And then afterwards... They'll settle down, and they'll live the way they feel like they've been supposed to live. But we don't work like that. Maybe you can even hear it as I say it right now. How unlikely and even absurd does it sound to say that I'm going to spend years of my life indulging myself, but afterwards I'll be ready to die to myself and love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and strength. If we spend years of our lives indulging ourselves, We're going to become people who are more inclined to indulge ourselves. That's just how we work. So the choices we make, the beliefs we embrace and reject, the content we consume, the people with whom we surround ourselves, these things profoundly affect our direction. And they have formative effects on our identity. So in the choices we make, especially at pivotal points in our lives, but also on a daily basis... We need to know how to remember the things that will guide us well. And if your mind works a little bit like mine, and I'm kind of sorry if it does, if if I say the word remember enough times this morning, maybe like me, you'll start to think of the Lion King and James Earl Jones' unmistakable voice calling, remember. So the first thing I want to look at this morning is that we need to remember in word. And Jesus models this for us in this story. One of the first things we notice in Jesus' encounter with the tempter is that he always responds by saying, it is written. He quotes scripture because he knows scripture. He's committed to memory. In his first rebuttal, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, um, verses 2 and 3, which reads, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, 
whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He says to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. It's Jesus who would later say that we speak from the overflow of our hearts. He makes us ask, what's in my heart? And so at this time of temptation for Jesus, I'd argue that he was acutely aware of what was in his heart because he'd been intensely remembering it for 40 days. And I don't think any of us questions Jesus' knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures and the Gospels he teaches from them and constantly amazes people. But he didn't have to reach very far across his expansive knowledge of the old texts in order to resist the enemy's traps. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament verses that are footnoted in Jesus' responses, you'll see that they come from what we know as Deuteronomy chapters 6 and 8, which are within just a few paragraphs of each other. Not only that, but they also happen to function together as parts of the unpacking of what's known as the Shema, the greatest command. And that's in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the Shema, Moses speaks the familiar words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In Jewish culture, these words were taken most seriously and viewed as most holy. They were recited morning and night every day. In the paragraphs that follow, the paragraphs from which Jesus responds to his tempter, Moses elaborates on how God's chosen and treasured people are to live out their love for the Lord, their God, and walk in his blessed ways. Now, because Jesus was the Son of God, he was able to do some things that no one else could ever do, right? But I would argue that overcoming the devil's temptations here was not such a thing. Any committed follower of the Lord could have done the exact same thing. But Jesus was able to stay on the path his father had set for him because he remembered these words, his father's words, and he took them to heart. And this is why we memorize scripture. It's not so that we can store it on a shelf on our minds and and occasionally dust it off to see if we can get the words right. We memorize scripture so that it can shape the way that we live, so that we might live fully, so that God might be glorified in the way that we live. The entire collection of Psalms starts off by telling us that we will be blessed, not by walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers, but by taking delight in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night. And we're told that those of us who do so will be like trees planted by streams of water that yield their fruit in their season and their leaves do not wither. We're told that they will prosper in all that they do. Do you know what it means to be a tree planted by a stream of water? It means that you're not dependent on rain 
for water. It means you're constantly and permanently tapped into a life source that gives you exactly what you need. It means that you're set up to flourish because you're uninhibited in your access to that life source. God desires to plant us along the life-giving stream of his word. And we all experience moments of inner conflict, moments in which our heart, mind, soul, and strength aren't united, aren't clicking with each other, aren't firing on all cylinders. And we need the word to bring us back and give us life. Sky Jatani, talking about this idea, says, In darkness we begin with our voices and allow our hearts to follow. Having God's word not only in our minds, but also on our minds, helps to keep us on track, as it did for Jesus. Our second area of remembrance is much more brief, because we've already kind of been touching on it, and it's that we need to remember in practice. As we look at the story with Jesus, we see there's a simple but important observation that we can't afford to miss, and it's that Jesus has been fasting. And he hasn't just skipped a meal or two. He's been fasting for 40 days. Matthew and Luke, in their accounts, they both make note of Jesus' hunger. But this, just, this wasn't just some act of physical punishment or a mental challenge. For Jesus, it was a spiritual practice of relying on the Lord, his Father, instead of food. And many people have made the point that although Jesus was considerably weakened physically, He could not have been more dialed in spiritually at this time of temptation. In Gordon MacDonald's book, Ordering Your Private World, he mentions a house that his family had in New Hampshire. And the house had wooden clapboard siding that would expand and contract with the changing of weather and the passing of seasons. And so consequently, the boards would work themselves loose and it was necessary to tighten the boards by hammering their nails back in from time to time. McDonald refers to this process as repounding, and he compares it to what we experience through spiritual practices, such as Sabbath rest, the reciting of creeds and written prayers, and the singing of hymns. And he writes, Rest is not only a looking back at the meaning of my work and the path I have so recently walked in life, but it is also a refreshing of my belief and commitment to Christ. When life gives us a shake, which it seems to do frequently, when ideas and attitudes that don't come from the wisdom and love of the Lord start to gain a hold on us, we need to return to the truths that hold us firm. And we need practices intentionally built into our lives that will help us remember what is good, true, and eternal. We've already talked about another such practice, memorizing scripture, and there are plenty more. There's fasting, praying through scripture, intercessory prayer, silence, solitude, service, simplicity. There are a lot of S's in there. Henry Nouwen wants to find spiritual disciplines as the effort to create some space in which God can act. Surrender is such a central act in inviting God to act in our lives. So we surrender time, ambition, control, because we believe that God's way is immeasurably better than our way. And the heart of spiritual discipline is illustrated well in Psalm 119. A few verses here read, 
I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Finally, there is one more form of remembrance Jesus shows in Matthew 4, and it's that we need to remember in community. There's This one, it's a little bit more subtle, but it's incredibly important. We see that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Fasting for Jesus was an act of communion with his Father. And after the devil left Jesus, we're told that the angels came and tended to him or were ministering to him. And so Jesus did not go through these 40 days alone. He was guided, sustained, and restored by his divine community. They supported him in maintaining his direction. We looked earlier at the beauty of being a tree planted by a stream of water. But the reality is, you don't really find streams of water that have just one tree growing alongside their banks. In fact, plants and trees tend to flourish together around bodies of water. And so we we see in the picture here plant life that makes this area into a dazzling little oasis, right? An oasis is an appropriate word because these plants are actually growing alongside the Nile River in Egypt, which, as we know, happens to run right through a big old desert. And so we see that with the right source and in the right ecosystem, life can flourish even in the harshest of settings together. This Wendell Berry poem offers a little further perspective. It reads... I part the outthrusting branches and come in beneath the blessed and the blessing trees. Though I am silent, there is singing around me. Though I am dark, there is vision around me. Though I am heavy, there is flight around me. Now to be certain, Wendell here, he's, he's just talking about nature. But humor me for a minute and lean into the metaphor. The trees are blessed and blessing. The subject enters the space carrying silence, darkness, and heaviness, but is met with singing, vision, and flight. Is this not how we are intended to live with each other? Is this not how we are to share the Lord with each other? We could learn a thing or two from creation. And let me just say this. This is why life groups are such a vital component to God's ministry here at Southside. Life groups allow us to get together in smaller groups, share meals with each other, spend time in each other's homes, cultivate deeper relationships, and see God at work close up in each other's lives. As we grow individually towards the Lord and relationally towards each other, we see God in each other and we're reminded of his goodness. For college students... Our campus ministry functions more or less as one of our life groups because we want to provide you with more than a place to worship, a place to study God's word, a place to serve. We want to provide you with a community, a group of fellow believers with whom you can walk closely towards Christ. To our friends who are connecting with this church family exclusively through live stream and are unable to be physically present, we need to stay connected too. Please let us know how and hold us to that. If you're connecting with this church family exclusively through live stream and you are able to be physically present, would you please consider being here in person? 
Because we need each other. We need each other. Peter gives us a good example of how we are to influence each other as he talks about growing into the qualities of Christ. He writes, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Finally, Derwin Gray offers a good word about our need to remember the Lord when things get dim. He says, no matter what the circumstance, it is so important that you and I remember a simple truth about the valley of the shadow of death. In order for there to be a shadow, there must also be a light. And that light is Jesus, the great light of the world. Jesus walks in the valley with us. His light is also by our side. We are not alone. We need to remember. We need to remind each other. And so this morning, if you feel that your path has veered away from Jesus, we want to pray with you. If you want to choose a new path and turn toward Jesus, if you want to take him on in baptism and walk in new life with him, We want to walk alongside you too. Let us point each other towards the Lord always, that we might always remember him. Let's continue in worship. Let's stand.